Good afternoon. We're going to have some fun with you this afternoon. <laughs> we uh, just appreciated the robust response to our invitation <laughs> for questions. And so these are notes we're not writing back. We're just going to uh, do our best to respond to. And this is completely spontaneous from the three of us. It's not planned. It's not scripted. It's really spontaneous, which is a fun practice for us together as well. This afternoon, we won't be responding to every note that was written. There were so many similar themes in what you're asking about that we've kind of chosen certain notes that capture the themes that are larger. Um, and there are, you know, just some notes that understandably are wanting other things to be happening, you know, where you're wanting something to be happening differently in your practice. And the response would simply be to keep practicing. <laughs> so some of those we also won't be um, responding to directly tonight, but hopefully what we share will be of benefit to you as the retreat moves, moves forward. And the first question is for the one and only Dora Williams. You see how she's Russian, right? <laughs> <laughs> White girl timing. <laughs> you have to tell them that story if you're going to say tell them that something story? like that. Yeah. So Darrell and I met maybe 10 years ago. We were um, in a teacher training together, and most of the training people stayed here real close to Spirit Rock and Woodacre. And there were about four of us who stayed at a house out in Point Reyes. And so every morning we would drive this old Hyundai in for the training in Woodacre. And at the, the very first week of the training, I think it was, um, <laughs> I said, hurry up, hurry up. We got to get there. We got to be on time. And Dara was doing things at her pace, which is not my pace. <laughs> and um, Dara was making the kitchen be really clean before we left. And my stuff was kind of all over the place. And Kate and Bonnie were with us. And we got in the car. And I had my hands on the steering wheel to drive all of us. And I realized I was in a suffering state. <laughs> and I said to everybody, I said, I'm really sorry. I was pressing you. This is new. It's vulnerable. I wanted to be on time. And Dara, just cool as a cucumber, looked at me and said, it's OK. You got white girl timing. <laughs> <laughs> Story of our friendship ever That's since. the beginning, yeah. That's the beginning. <laughs> so, Dara. <laughs> yeah, take your time. Take your time. <laughs> I'll just say, I've heard that story a few times, and it's always funny. <laughs> Thank you. It's true. Yeah. <laughs> okay, we're good. Yeah. Ready. Okay. What might be the most skillful way to handle aversion when it arises like a trauma response? Or something gets activated as if, you're not safe even while you know you are. Tell me if you want me to read it a second time. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. There's a lot in this. What might be the most skillful way to handle aversion 
when it arises like a trauma response or something gets activated as if you're not safe even while you know that you are. Aversion as a trauma response. So not quite... um, there's a couple of ways this, these two concepts and distinctions and experiences can integrate or come together. And I think that when a trauma response arises and one perhaps on contact of recognizing that trauma state feels aversive to it, I don't actually know that there's something to handle there. I think it's to recognize the aversion to the state, to the arising, and then to actually turn... Well, you could do one of two things. You could turn towards the aversion and work with that as the object, work with that as the um, domain where you're developing relationship to um, embrace that experience, relax around that experience, allow that experience to be there without wanting to get rid of it. Because when a trauma, so that was what I was saying about aversion, but when a trauma response arises and it's not in the moment of the trauma, it's thinking and it's body, right? And so a lot of times you may know, I think at the end of the note, they say, even though you know you're safe, Like that's on the thought level, but on the body level, what the body is experiencing or what the body is feeling is, oh, this is that happening. And so to give, first of all, to give a lot of space to the body and to ground yourself in one of the practices that we've spoken about or other resourcing that you may be able to call upon that you're already using. You don't really try to um, deconstruct or... um, disengage from a trauma response while it's happening. You have to really let the energy move through you and happen, and then you can go back and do some work with it. Um, I think having a lot of expectation, maybe, I don't know if that's, that wasn't in your question, but having some expectation that either at some point I'm done with this, and so you kind of get knocked off your balance when something arises, Um, that's in that domain. But I think that actually, it's not that trauma, this might sound, I don't know. I don't actually think that trauma actually ever is done, but our relationship to it changes such that it becomes just another arising experience, but that there's no energy on it. So you don't have to do anything. You just have to let it arise and resolve, arise and resolve. Well, that's what's there for me in mm. relationship to that question. Thank you. Yeah, and just to say, you know, I mean, trauma is just on the continuum, right? It's the extreme of suffering, right? And so if you work with it and engage with it like that, that will also give you access to being able to employ the practice in relationship. Not that it's some special or different thing, but that it's actually part of the continuum of suffering, just on the extreme end of it.
Is there anything for you to add? If I could drop this mic, then that would be what I would add. <laughs> <laughs> mic drop. <laughs> I, I did mic. actually think of something else to add. Thank you, Josette. <laughs> <laughs> um, there is uh, a non-Western belief. I think they're starting to engage it in terms of Western psychology and Western understanding. But trauma, not when you're in the throes of it, but as you are um, metabolizing it and integrating it into the pantheon of life experience that you have, that it's always an opportunity for growth and a deepening of access to compassion and love that I don't know really is accessible any other way. I don't know. That would be something for me to think about. Um, and that's regardless of the kind of trauma that it is. But to be kind and gentle with yourself and don't expect, you know, I, people come on retreat a lot of times, and that's really one of the first times they really turn towards engaging with trauma. Like, they're aware that they've had trauma. It's, it's um, perhaps all over the place in their life, but have never turned towards it to work with it and integrate it. So that's one of the wonders and uh, mysteries of this practice, that it supports and holds us to turn towards even the most difficult things. Yeah. I'll add one thing, which is just, um, this came up in one of my groups today, just the role of the nervous system in liberative practice. Mm. Like it's really real. Um, and the regulation of the nervous system is a direct contributor to our capacity to experience some of what I was talking about last night. And um, like the, the deepening of the path and the deepening of the well-being of the nervous system in many ways really go hand in hand, both the practice being, for me, it's been profoundly healing for my nervous system. Um, and really taking into account that unless traumatic activation is really dealt with in a way that is specific to its nature, you can meditate and meditate and mm -hmm. meditate and do all this focusing on the breath and it doesn't free itself. So it's really a, um, a skillful means to include um, the nervous system regulation. It's a very real, real particular, right, part of what unfolds as we mm -hmm. practice. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and, and really um, elucidating or highlighting that we don't talk about it a lot yeah. necessarily in these halls, but we have Huge. a nervous system. You've been hearing me say that a lot over the course of, you know, made up of a spine and nerves and like there's a real physical manifestation of a nervous system that is now helping us navigate the world and process the experiences that we have. And that's what, like you said, as much breathing, as much metta, as much as yeah. you want to do. But if you're not engaging it at that level, um, there's only so far one is going to be able mm. to go. Yeah. That's it? That's it? Just it? You got more?
That's it. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> well, you might as well leave your mic on because I have a question for you. All right, I got you. If we have compassion for all, even the ones doing the wrongdoings and evil, how do we improve the world and humanity? How do we balance watching and noticing the emotions with taking action? One more again. Okay, dope. <laughs> if we have compassion for all, even the ones doing the wrongdoings and evil, how do we improve the world and humanity? How to, pa to balance watching and noticing the emotions with taking action? Mm -hmm. Thank you for this inquiry, whomever you are, and I have a feeling that it was multiple folks helping to write this question. I think it's important to share hmm, I've come into an understanding about my particular existence in this life. And I was born into some very traumatic situations that has shaped the ways in which I practice and navigate life and how I show up, where I show up. I've been in situations where I'm face-to-face, -face, I'm engaged with beings who are set on destroying this body. That was prior to being formally engaged with this practice and being formally engaged with this practice. Prior to being engaged with this practice, I would get caught in some of their bullshit as they were engaging with me. This practice has helped in so many different ways, I can't go into it right now. But the very direct ways it has helped is as I'm engaging with that energy, I am not caught in it, even while I'm protecting this heart body. Engaging in a way where there is actually meta-karuna being shared for myself and for the person that is coming at me, near me, on me, whatever that may be. And that particular practice is not for everyone. There's a very deep faith that is here that fully respects what the Buddha has shared within this metta sutta that we haven't shared with you. But within that sutta, as we are cultivating metta, and as we then cultivate it enough for ourselves for it to be radiating out into the world, 
this request is that we omit none. No one is omitted. This is a level of liberation that we cannot sink ourselves into. This is a level of liberation and connection that is deeper than any oppressive force. And it scares the shit out of them. Hmm. Like when you show up in your full being of loving kindness and compassion against hatred, hatred is scared. You're there just like, hey, hatred, I see you. We talked about this being of Mara. Mara is this within our cosmonology here, this embodiment of greed, hatred, and delusion that can show up in any way, shape, or form, can oppress and colonize our own heart, mind, bodies. We then come to this understanding how we perpetuate this onto others and even to ourselves. And this practice being about freeing ourselves from that energy. So my, my ask and my request, this is why I, I shared earlier with some folks why I listen to Dara, why I hang out with Aaron, why I put myself into situations of this spiritual friendship in order to be mirrored within this truth no matter how challenging and ugly and violent and vicious it actually is. It helps me to remember. And that's me. And I'm at a point where I can then go out and be in the middle of folks who aren't quite there. To be in the middle of the violence and to be in a place where we can come here and practice. And build this sangha, build this community, build to a place where we are then really together, living together, developing together, cooking together, sewing together. Not just coming here for a drop-in, but living this life. I got deep. (laughs) There's so much more I really want to share with you. That's what's present for me in this moment. The way that this heart-body shares sometimes is not really, it can feel like I'm not talking directly to what's being asked. But I hope that within what I'm sharing, that there's an understanding of keep practicing. This is it. It's directly related to what Dara just responded to. This world is in a state of trauma. And this world is in a state of deep, abundant love and joy and compassion and equanimity and, unfortunately, green beans. (laughs) Yeah. Thank you. Anything to add? Dara, you want me to expound on anything? 
I'll say this, and if, if this bounces, you can grab it. Yeah. Um, on top of what you're saying, I don't know if it really has sunk in how radical it is to engage with the Brahma Viharas. Like it takes real warrior courage mm-hmm. in a way mm-hmm. to live those principles. When the first line of this question is, is if we have compassion for all, so checking it out, do I really have compassion for all? Or is there a veneer that I'm not willing to touch or engage with? I also think that um, this is the efficacy, this is the real um, urging for you to pick up and engage. We're not going to get to all of the Brahma-viharas in this retreat. But mudita and upekka are necessary to balance the compassion and the metta. And you can find it out there. You know, we'll, we'll, we'll talk about resources and stuff like that. But if there's anything that I would leave you with, it is really to understand the radicalness of the Brahma Viharas. So I think everyone on this retreat will meet up. We're going to find a Brahma Vihara retreat. We're all going to do that together. Right? Okay. I'm serious. But that, that was a saving grace practice for me. Right? Engaging with retreats, engaging with it in everyday life, chanting the Metta Sutta every day for years. And I'd, I'd say this, something that I learned while engaging with this practice, and Metta in particular, what I learned was that in actuality of the practice, when you are practicing Metta, you're supposed to stay on yourself through and through, before you move on to anyone else. And part of that is understanding that if you start to send metta to someone else, you may be sending some of those hindrances, like what Dara was talking about. Do I really have compassion for this person? I'm going to be compassionate for this person. Okay. (laughs) That ain't compassion. And we all know that because we laugh with that, right? But we know that within ourselves. This is what we were talking about during this retreat, like really centering yourself in a full way to be of service in this world. This is counterculture. This is decolonized. This is liberate, liberating freedom. And I'm not here to convince you of this. We're not here to convince you. But we're here to remind you that whether you believe this in this life or not, you're going to find out in the next life because the past life was trying to tell you to do some work in this life, which is why you're here right now. And it's simple. So let it be simple, and we can recognize we're making it difficult, because we know it's not easy, but it's simple. This is for Aaron. I find myself not connecting. I kept waiting for this aha moment. 
that cracked me open, but it hasn't come. There are moments when I want to cry or begin to, but then I stop. Even breathing in the air has been a challenge. Am I doing this wrong? Mm. Mm, Thanks. Thanks to whomever wrote the question. No, you're not doing it wrong. And it's interesting the um, sometimes chasm between our ideas of the practice and the actuality of the practice, because in the question, I actually hear a lot of connectedness. It takes so much courage to connect with the places where we feel disconnected, to connect with the places where we feel isolated or separate. And I bet everybody in this room knows that feeling of, oh my God, there's an ocean of tears inside me and they just won't come. Like that, that yearning, longing for a kind of emotional release that will help our systems to settle again. So I hear a lot of connectedness within that note, and I hear connectedness with things that are hard to be with. Like when Dura talked about Vedana this morning, the unpleasant. It's like, oh, connectedness with the unpleasant. So I would, I would respond with a few more pieces here. Um, to notice that which is connecting with not being able to cry, with disconnectedness, with tension, because that which is connecting is, is, is present moment awareness, which is not disconnected. So to notice something other than the hard stuff because that which is aware is not the hard stuff. And that which is aware has a natural benevolence, a natural mercy, a natural intelligence, a natural spaciousness. So like take a few moments and not just kind of like, not laser the attention into trying to connect, but to feel that which is, even to feel the yearning, you know, the yearning, the longing, the longing to belong. And maybe to start there, like even that feeling when it's hard to breathe, to just let it be hard, and so much compassion right there. Like, like touching into the dukkha, the friction, the, the tension of that, that's the only place compassion opens up, self-compassion. So it may just be a simple wish, may this be held in compassion. And you don't feel like you've got it. And this isn't just the person who wrote the note, right? This is all of us at different times in different ways. You know, I, I have just like gotten on my knees sometimes and said, you know, may Quan Yin, may the great archetypal universal force of the great heart come rest in this heart and hold it. I would also pay attention to where the connectedness is there. And it may be as simple as the rainbow or the smell of a tree or the, you know, when we had the beets for lunch, I was like, whoa, these don't just look like pretty beets. They really taste like beets. (laughs) You know, sometimes food doesn't, it's like, 
like, oh, these are grown somewhere good. These really taste like beets. And, and so just the simple moments of the connectedness and, you know, the, the force of the tyranny of our ideas about what practice should look like. Because I hear a lot of good practice in that question. I hear a lot of courage. And I also hear the presence of perseverance or endurance. Like I'm sticking with this. And the truth is, these places where there are knots in our energy systems, in our bodies, in the heart, in the mind, like they let go of us. We don't let go of them so much. They let go of us. And they do over time. If you look back on your practice, like things do let go, but not really on the timeline of usually what we expect, often what we want. But there, there is a grace by which things let go. I've heard it in many of the practice sessions. That's happening too. Be very, very uh, gentle. What do you? What else do you got? Can I say something about beets? Yeah, I know what you're going to say though. <laughs> <laughs> tell, tell us the beat story. <laughs> so this place helped me love beats. I was on a two-month retreat here. First of all, I'm just going to say it was very challenging to get to a point where I felt comfortable leaving home, retreating, leaving my family. I'm a caretaker in different ways. I resonate with all the folks here who, who live that life too. So there's one particular week it was a Monday or a Sunday, whatever. Beets were in four of the dishes. <laughs> you get to the first dish, uh, then you look down, uh, okay. <laughs> you look to the back table, you're like, oh, okay. <laughs> this is happening. <laughs> that day, the meal, it was just terrible. Absolutely terrible. I don't know how many cookies I was trying to scrounge up and crackers. Tuesday, more beets. Come to find out, it was beet harvesting season. It was just all about beets. Rainbow beets, all these beet, purple beets. I didn't know about these. Anyway, I didn't know about beets like that. Wednesday, borscht. I was like, what is, what? And then I'm having this relationship with my urine. <laughs> we know each other. We're close now, right? We're, we're deep. We're talking about trauma and stuff. If you haven't eaten beets like that, and you know what it does to your body, and you know, okay, okay. Come Thursday, more rainbow beet salad. And... I don't know what happened. It was like the most delicious salad I've ever had in this life. It was a gorgeous salad. Seriously. Like whatever you have eaten in your life, if you say that was the best meal I've ever had, this was 20 times better than that. Right? And what I, when I investigated it, and I think that we were practicing a lot of metta that time, there was an overriding of this habitual pattern of judgment, of disgust, 
that I then noticed I was projecting onto other people. I was projecting into other spaces, right? Onto even myself. Eat, yo. <laughs> Amazing teacher. By Friday, more beats. I was all in it, taking two big bowls, eating too much. Monday, no more beats because we eating all the beats. And then I was back into suffering and <laughs> practicing with something else. Yeah, that's my beat story. <laughs> Are you ready for a question? Okay. Okay. I tend to keep a story coding around my heart, so I usually feel in neutral. I don't feel hard truths. I keep them at a safe distance. It's only been after several days of not talking and constant long meditation sessions that the cage of my heart, that the cage my heart is in, has begun to open. I can't live like this when I go back to my life. How do I keep my heart open without the enormous room this retreat has offered? So I think that somewhere in the talk that I did on compassion, I talked about boundaries and saying no and limits. And saying no is not necessarily just a no to an invitation. It can be a no to I'm not accepting this into my life. And so I think that there's a double bit of work to do. The work of continually strengthening and opening. The heart. As it opens more and more, see there's an inference in here that an open heart is a sensitive heart. Hmm. But the actuality is that a heart that's fully open and whole is a strong heart. And so you want to keep cultivating the heart through all of the flavors. Um, and you have every right to use the discernment as to when it's time to walk away from something or not place yourself there in the first place. Just because an interaction or an experience or a condition is there before you doesn't necessarily mean you have to entertain it or engage with it. And if you are in a circumstance where it is necessary to engage with something that has the propensity or possibility for causing challenge or harm to you, then it's like putting on that imaginary... You know, I think maybe because this is my ancestry, like I'm African-American, so I arise out of that experience. And so for me, there is nothing in this world at this time that I am going to be enslaved to. So whatever it takes, whatever um, practice, whatever understanding, whatever um, action is called for to make sure that that doesn't happen. I'm going to engage with it. And like Josen said um, earlier, 
we have to really be mindful and listen to the words that we're using to describe an experience or a situation or a condition that we're in relationship with and remove or um, ensure that there's no victimhood in there, that there's no I can't in there, that there's no self-deprecation in there, and come at the condition, the person, the situation, or the circumstance in full force, which isn't necessarily aggressive. This is what Joseph, you know, to stand in the middle. I was talking about this in one of the groups today. To stand in the middle, to be centered, to be grounded, to know who you are. That is the place that allows you, you know, if, if, you, if you're in martial arts, if you've ever done martial arts or, or dancing, I think is, would, would, would be another thing, I don't know, where your, your, your core and your center needs to be balanced. And that allows you to feel and be able to have the freedom to move in whatever direction is needed. So our job through the heart is to cultivate ourselves where we can stand in the middle and meet whatever, meet and move or non-move. Sometimes the right thing to do is to just stand still right where you are. But to have the discernment to know what is called for here and then to be able to act on it. Another piece is this is a gradual training. Yeah, so... The four or five days that we've been together, you've been working, you've been cultivating, you've been gathering, you've been growing. Excellent. Take a piece of what you want to impact, not the whole thing. And bit by bit, that will expand out to encompass the whole thing. This is a progressive process, a progressive process. Training, don't forget that word, training, that we're in. And some things we train in over a lifetime. I forget which basketball player, but it was one of the big ones, like Michael Jordan or somebody like that, who said, even at the pinnacle and height of the success of his career, he went out and practiced jump shots every morning for two hours. So that's the, the mind and the conviction of really, um, yeah, really integrating this practice. So it becomes not that you're thinking about it. It's just there, and it comes forward, and you have access to it. I don't know if that answered the question. I just went somewhere. No, you totally responded (laughs) to the question. Okay. Yeah. All right. Yeah. Yeah. What you just said reminded me of uh, something that Bruce Lee says. I hope I'm sharing this correctly. Bruce Lee would share, in a moment of chaos, we do not rise to our expectations. We fall to our level of practice. Mm. I believe he may have said level of training, given it was Bruce Lee. In a moment of chaos, we do not rise to our level of expectation. We fall to our level of training, of practice. 
And so we, within that, we also recognize we each have a particular role in this life. Right? If you're not a good cook, you may not want to cook for 100 people. However, if you can, I don't know, garden, if you have a driver's license, you can take folks from point A to point B. If you have a knack for science, you want to be a nurse, a doctor, like all these roles that are in the realm of the Brahma Vihara, loving kindness, compassion, taking care of one another, they're all connected, they're all needed. One is not greater than the other. But the ask is to not get in the way of liberation. So as you're living your life, if you notice something about yourself, about ourselves, that is just not supporting that progression towards liberation, be truthful with yourself. Get out the way a little bit. Get out your own way a little bit. Which means come here. Come here, practice here. Find a local sangha. We'll talk about that tomorrow. Right? There are all these places where we can come and be and understand and nourish who we are innately without trying to fabricate or manipulate this life. I'll add one thing. I'm not sure we have time for another full question. Um, to ask yourselves the inquiry, does the cage or the tension around the heart really protect you? You know, like the tension can seem like it protects us. It actually keeps us separate. And it takes an enormous amount of energy to maintain um, that sense of separateness in the heart, although it completely makes sense with the overwhelm. There's one other thing I wanted to say. See, I have a note here so I can look at it. <laughs> um, oh, the other thing I wanted to say is that You don't have to work to hold on to the states that are happening for you here. They're happening in a very particular environment. And they are conditioned in the sense that these conditions are part of what invites the conditions of some of what's happening for you. The good stuff is really what I'm speaking about right now. You don't have to hold on to it because that momentum can't not continue through the chitta, through your heart and mind. It can't not continue and a lot of the seeds that you've planted here, you have no idea about it because you're in the middle of it. Like you're in it. And so it's like the nature, a seed ripens according to its nature. So something beautiful has happened for the, for, for the person who, who shared this. And that really can't be undone and it doesn't have to be recreated because it can't be recreated. But it also... Um, the, the imprint is there. That, that can't be undone. And what's important isn't the state, it's the understanding. And there's an understanding, the insight understanding that's there. There's one more thing to add before you start heading. Um, just by virtue of that question, I would venture to say to whomever wrote this, 
is that you already have the capacity for the strong heart. Mm. You wouldn't be asking that question mm. if there wasn't a ability to move forward in that direction. Thank you. Mm-hmm. It's really juicy, all of this. We could go on and on. Actually, it's really, really quite rich. Um, it's, it's our sincere wish that this form has been a benefit to you in some way. It's an experiment for us. Oh, we'll see you um, back here for Brahma Viharas. It's okay, I'd like to just breathe with y'all for a moment. Take a collective inhale. Exhale. Fuller inhale. More expressive exhale. Deepest inhale of the day. Pausing. Audible howling. Exhale. (laughs) Nice. Thank you, Sangha. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.